Well, I ought to kind of probably just pull the, the podium closer. What I, uh, what I wanted to do, if, if we could, let me, uh, hey, you guys, is your teacher here? Okay. What I thought we'd do, if, uh, if it's okay with you all, you know, we've got a couple of weeks, probably at least a week, where there'll be a fair number of us that are gone. And um, we had promised that uh, and agreed that we were going to spend some time talking practically about how we uh, both live how we encourage, by what means, by passive or active means, uh, we encourage our neighbors and our culture uh, to recognize what true justice looks like. Um, so we're going to do that. But I think it's important for us to do that, to, to, to wrestle with that a little bit, put some wheels on it. What, what can we do? Uh, because we've clearly said that uh, that first and foremost, God's people are supposed to look like God's people. The body of Christ is supposed to look like Christ. And Christ is the second Adam. He's the one who accomplished what the first Adam didn't accomplish. And he sent us a comforter that is there to equip us and help us to look like Christ. So, so I want to, you know, maybe the next couple of weeks uh, following this one, uh, want us to, to think about ways that we can uh, maybe wh whether to some degree, whether and if so by what means, uh, we should speak to the culture. Last week, we talked about how we should speak to ourselves, what it is that we are to be, what we are to look like, how we are to encourage each other. Are we doing it? Are we helping each other to connect dots, so to speak? Are we even reminding each other what the dots are? Uh, because, again, we get, we passively sometimes, it's so easy to get just sort of caught up in the cultural flow and slowly but surely begin to accept things or maybe because we find ourselves midstream when we, when we enter the stream, we don't even know that the stream is polluted. And so we're washed down the polluted stream and, this, and, and you know, we sort of adapt uh, to the sewage that's, that's in it. Those are, I guess, kind of, um, in my mind, what it is that, that we as a culture, as, in effect, the culture, uh, it's what John talked about when he was talking about the Ten Commandments. God's people have always had an evangelistic mission. The people of God who received those commandments, who cowered and, and were afraid at the base of a mountain where they heard the Lord's voice, 
We're being called to an evangelistic purpose. To show the nations what it was supposed to look like. And God knew that they would fail in that. Moses' sermons in Deuteronomy predict it. Uh, and yet, and yet, that doesn't, you know, that's not futility. That's not God not being powerful enough. Uh, that's God being loving enough to say, I want to establish relationship. I'm not going to impose my will. And now he offers us the opportunity by faith to receive a Holy Spirit who it said will write the law in our hearts, which includes the sending off of warning bells, and that's one of the greatest blessings that the Holy Spirit gives us, in my opinion, is the ability to, to, to feel that we're sinning, to feel that something's not right, you know, or to, to discern what is, is right and wrong, and then that brings godly repentance, brings a type of grief, and it brings a willingness to turn, to turn around. So this morning I, I thought it would be a good idea to talk about if we are, if we are an evangelistic mission, and if the primary means of the mission, uh, and I always forget the, the what's the old quote uh, uh, that talks about if necessary use words, somebody that has better memory than me. Uh, you know what I'm talking about. I see, I see some. I'll always preach the gospel if necessary use words. Is that, yeah. Francis of Assisi. When you think about it, that is and has been for all time the primary means of transmission. That's the intended means of transmission is demonstration. That's precisely what Israel was supposed to be. Was this demonstration sort of in a cleansed Petri dish so that people could see what was going on. Hopefully without corruption, without corrupting influences that they would misattribute. In other words, say, boy, those Israelites have really been a success and it's because they were tremendous at picking the best pieces of Egyptian, Sumerian, Canaanite, and their own culture, and combining them in this great amalgamized you know, concoction. And it was fantastic. It was all good. That's, that, and that's where the problem resides. What's the... What's the uh, What's the passage from Jeremiah? It's, it's not in man that walks to direct his steps. And you've got, what, Proverbs 16, I think, and there, there are at least two or three proverb passages that say there's a way that seems right to a man, and that way is death. And that's talking about fallenness. That's talking about the crack in the code, the, 
the sort of blinders that we have inherited that we have brought into ourselves by our rebellion against, against God. And God has graciously then provided His Word. And ultimately His Word made flesh. And then has written His Word on believers' hearts. So, I'm asking this question. Can we catalog, we started doing it last week, catalog the ways in which we are called by God, we are aided by God, given the, the, the clarified view of what is right and wrong. You know, Paul says, nobody has any excuse because we can certainly see at a general level that, that becomes really clear enough in lots of areas, what's right and wrong. But he's taken it to another level. He's brought certain things into, into clarity for us. And we even misunderstand those. The Jews misunderstood the sanctifying principles in the law. They misunderstood the sacrifices. They misunderstood the purity laws and rituals. John? No. Mm-hmm. You know, my experience is I do have certain experience with different groups of people. Mm-hmm. But as God's man, I just know that I've got to treat everybody the same. And I, I, I need to discriminate only on their ability to pay rent and pay it responsibly. That's mm-hmm. what, you know, but I and maintain I, the premises to some degree. <laughs> show favoritism. Mm-hmm. And, and I do, I, I thought about that this week, you know, and just that it's, it's, um, yeah. it's a part of, uh, of our, of our, of who we are. We're, we're called to be fair. In the end, I, it was like I was already a Hispanic woman and then, and her family, in the end, something happened with her other landlord where she couldn't mm-hmm. me. But it's interesting, you know, just different experiences I have and you kind of have to fight them. Well, and, and, and there's a line because we are called to judge with right judgment. We're, we're, we are called to discriminate in the sense of, you know, sort of the way we focus on a picture and to be able to discriminate within and, and, and 
determine on the basis of the input. The, the issue is we are not to discriminate in the sense of this, this concept of favoritism in any way. And, and that's one aspect. So if we're going to catalog what it is that Christians are supposed to look like, you know, we've talked about, I spent most of the time last week talking about, I think, the, the primary way is to be humble, to recognize who is God, to never come across to somebody as if I've got it all wired and uh, that I'm the master of my universe. That's thing one. Thing two is... Because when we, when we go down the list of the, of, the, of the commandments, of the words of God, the ten words, the first three, actually the first four, relate specifically to the honor of God, which is what's to keep us grounded, right? And then we go immediately to what? Honor your father and mother. So the family is the next deal, and that's where I basically camped last week, is what's going to cause people to ask? What's going to be the, the preaching without words, so to speak, is do we stay married? Do we endure in hard times in marriage? Do we... Do we take care? Yeah, I mean, it's do we, do we rear our children instead of passively letting them blossom? I'm reading a tremendous book. It's not, it's not by a Christian woman. In fact, she was very surprised when Christians were one of her prime audiences for this book. Um, and it's, uh, if, let me, I'm going to see if I can remember it right. It's called Love and Economics. Uh, it takes a family to raise a village. And uh, she was a scholar, um, but she was a woman who had uh, felt a call, she and her husband. He's an engineer. She's a, scholar, a renowned scholar. He's <laughs> taught at some top places. Uh, known as a libertarian, and she had she they adopted a child who had been in a Romanian orphanage. And one of the characteristics of some of those orphanages in uh, some of the communist countries is they they tried to replace the family. They actually took kids away and put them into orphanages in situations where the parents weren't deemed to be fit in the sense of uh, sort of the doctrines of the, of the state. But the point is, one of the, one of the ways that they raised them was without, was without very much physical contact with as little as possible. And uh, uh, sort of, sort of a, a, an indoctrination process without any without any nurturing. And, uh, you know, she saw 
the difference between their birth child and this child, who was, I think, six or seven when they adopted him. And he was, he was almost unable to respond to inputs. And so she began to, to think about what that meant. And she basically wrote this book against what she calls the laissez-faire family. The, the family of a bunch of individuals who are all in the process of self-actualization and self-maximization, that that, no, that isn't the way it works. That is absolutely not the way it works. Well, we, whether we got into it scientifically or by experience or whatever, we know that from Scripture. We, we know how to act toward our children. We know that God hates divorce. We know that God hates sexual sin of all types in terms of giving a pass because something has become the norm in the culture. The point is, what happens? How does, how does that look? What does that look like? What other things might come into this walk in front of other people that would cause them to say, hey, what's going on in your life? And if that happened, if that ever happened, the question becomes, what would we say? Could, could we articulate what it is? Could we articulate where it came from? That's an important thing. They are. Well, and, and, and see, to me, that begs the question, and it begs a question that I, that, that I struggle with because I want to mind my own business. I have been taught to mind my own business, and I'm, talk, I'm not talking about to a total stranger go up and say, it's obvious that you are screwed up and I need to tell you how not to be. That's not what we're talking about. But where we have a relationship... Should we speak into it? I mean, we're, we're and, and you have. I, I mean, I'm not saying that you have. Yeah. Which is why at the beginning of ministry, 
by John the Baptist, by Jesus, by all the prophets. What's the word? What's the one word? Repent. Do a 180. And that can be sometimes an unwelcome and hard word. I struggle with the implications of Leviticus 19.17 and Ezekiel 3.18. You can go read those verses, but essentially they say, if I see a brother walking, if I see a neighbor in effect, and of course Jesus kind of expanded that paradigm. If I see somebody walking toward a cliff and I don't tell them that they are, then their blood is on my hands. Not, not correlate how those externals... Well, it is typical, and we have, we have subtly taught. We're, we're subtly taught and, and to some degree have subtly taught in our culture that that can happen, that you can have the, you can have the end without the means, that all this stuff just happens by magic if you have enough money. Well, yeah, and then the question becomes, are we, are we seeing the having to look over your shoulder part or are we, seeing, are we only seeing the good side? It's sort of like, you know, watching an episode of the Kardashians or something, which I never have, but I understand. You know, it, I mean, the point is that you don't have to... Right, you don't have to look hard, though, in the lives of... I mean, and, and Nick won't mind me bringing this up. Nick Brown, who, who can't be here on Sunday mornings, uh, but is able to come on, on Wednesdays, uh, has been very open about the struggles in his own family. And the particular struggles that are going on right now are, are horrific in a way that, that we would have a hard time imagining, and I can't even talk about with Bailey and and, and it's the same situation, John. It is, it's a multi-generational brokenness in families. And this detached view that the inputs don't produce the, don't produce the result, that the results just happened to me, the results were sort of imposed on me, none, none of this stuff had anything to do with it. Amen. And you can't just embrace the externals of I need to have a nice marriage. You need to do this right. Right.
Yeah. No question. But the, the main point in all of this, whether it's fairness in our dealings, which you began talking about, which is a fundamental, we are not, as Jennifer Rohrbach uh, Morse, who wrote that book that I uh, discussed, we are not homo economicus. We are, that's not who we are. Now, we may be operating that way. And, and homo economicus is not all about money, by the way. Yeah, it's it man, the, man the economic actor. But, it, but economy means a lot of different things. In one sense, it's almost the environment in which we operate in because we do speak of and have spoken of in the early theologians on about God's economy. This, this social structure that God has produced that is said explicitly to bring, in effect, as the song puts it, life and health and joy and peace, which does not mean bad stuff isn't going to happen. But it means we're, eight, we, but it does mean, it does, I think it does mean, as we've talked about in, in terms of whether it be poverty or, or what have you, that a society, and let's say the family as, the, as, as that basic component of society, let's say the church as the next component of society, let's say a community as the next, let's say a nation as the next, if we want to draw it that way, that a society that operates on these principles, and we see that... Nobody has an excuse. Paul said it, but so did Isaiah. Then I'm going to use the king of Assyria like a hammer on the Israelites, but, but, but he's under condemnation too. That culture's under com- condemnation. And I sent the prophet Jonah to them, who looked like Jesus, in the sense of he went in to the bowels of the earth for three days and, 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 and came forth. The point is, there were those illusions in that, but the fact of the matter is that there is far less flotsam and jetsam is, is the term that's used for when a ship sinks and all the stuff's floating on the, on the surface when it, after it goes down. There's far less flotsam and jetsam in a society that's operating predominantly on these principles than there is in, in anything else. Are we agreed about that? Are we agreed about that in, in, in the church? Are we agreed about encouraging each other to, to holiness? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, and what a difference it makes. 
real versus nominal believers, in effect. Well, and, and, and a, yeah, you're absolutely right. And the point is then another aspect of that community. What's, what's an aspect of my, of my nuclear family community? I look after my children. That I keep, I keep track of what's going on with them, right? I don't let them operate as, as free agents. They're not able. They're not ready. I'm watching, Right? then if we expand it to the next community, the church, then we're watching out. We're watching out for those folks who are, in effect, operating nominally. And that's not walking up to them and saying, where have you been? That's, a, that's, a, that's an encouragement just like a good father would do just like a good brother would do. Because we know the wreckage that occurs when a, an abusive father says, my way or the highway, you better get it done, son. That doesn't, that doesn't work very well. I think, I think so. I mean, it's what John's been doing with a person who he has, in effect, a level of permission with to, to speak to. And I think there, come, there, there is some of that that's required. But how do we gain permission? Senior brother, my older brother tells me to do, I must do it. I have no choice. I'm thinking you're 40. You're 40 and you feel that way. In America, you stop feeling that way at 21. Now, it's interesting. An interesting correlation is where do we get the idea that 18 is the age or 21 is the age? It's in the, the culture. It, well, yeah, but it's specifically in political culture. Well, that's part of political culture. 
I mean, that's, that's, I mean that's, that's an aspect of it. It becomes, I now become an autonomous free agent. I'm an autonomous free agent because I am part of the voice of the people now. And, and unfortunately, far too often, the voice of the people is considered the voice of God. Because they don't live that sort of democratic political life, they that you know theirs is a tribal, and they live a, in, extended families. in extended families exactly, which is part of what we're called to. To you know, and and we got to. I'm, I'm just saying. I don't know all the. I personally don't know all the answers to this, but I do know that if the church looks different in the right way, I do think it is evangelistic, just like it was promised to Israel. And we can think through, and we may have to wrestle individually with what does that look like. Maybe that looks like that unlike what Lois and I did in terms of, in terms of extended family and maintaining that, that care that's involved in honoring father and mother, Maybe that means, to some degree, we're less mobile than, than, some, than some other segments of the culture. Right. I mean, it might mean that. I don't know that it does, and it might not mean it for everybody, and it could mean it for some. I don't know. Uh, you know, and that would tie into is... Is economic pro- progression the be-all and end-all? Because often we leave because we've got a you know a better opportunity someplace, and I don't want to just camp on on that. But do you see this is an organic to me as I'm thinking about these fundamental principles of the law of God? There seems to me to be an organic aspect of that. That just like if I've got some virus in my body that's attacking my body. If I leave alone one principle in preference of others, I will. I really like this one, so I'm going to focus on it. I'm going to hold myself to it. I'll hold maybe my church to it. You know, whatever. But I forget about this one. I'm really, really willing to let that slide. It seems to me that that would be like leaving that virus untreated. So the point we've made is, can we, can we be just by ignoring some injustices in preference to others? Can we have our favorite injustice? And there may be, by the way, an aspect in a body where signals are being sent by different receptors. There may be a person who is greatly focused on one area, not as focused on another. I don't think we can be totally exclusive about that. But you see what I'm saying? It's sort of like there's hands and feet and and all that in describing the body of Christ. It seems like to me there could be some people who are, you know, this will cause them to stand up and say, brothers and sisters, something has, you know, 
God has laid something on my heart that, that, that I want to share with you, and you, you help me think about what that is. Man, would that be, to me, that would be incredibly healthy. And I do think that God equips different ones of us differently. You know, that, and that may be, and, and instead of abrading maybe, and there may be some appropriate abrasion in that, Iron does sharpen iron, and that's not a picture of, of nothing really happening. Uh, that's a picture of two blades coming against each other and peeling off pieces, right? So there, there may be an abrasive factor, but there also just simply may be a, how do I want to say it? A modeling factor, a, a speaking forth, a, a, a prophetic Factor in it, if that makes sense. Yeah, the first thing that we that we say the presence of the Spirit, Lord, thank you. And uh, we're getting close to time. We're fast got to wrap up anyway. But uh, I was I was sitting down. My mind was going down a trail. I don't think it's a rabbit trail, but a positive trail. How are people living that out? And what example does that be? By others. Well, by others. Had that been his desire, he could have done it that way. And I'm not saying that's a an altogether inappropriate way to do it. But when I look at examples, his was an example of faithfulness that way. I think of, uh, and I particularly, there's only one Thessalonian, or well, there's only one branch, but I take on Tim and Sam in that way as they brought Doc Dukes into their house. Some people here, uh, I've got enough history here that uh, people know who Doc Duke was. You know, some of us do, some of us don't. But he, he was an old, old farmer who, who lived single and had a house with a dirt floor, was injured on his tractor, and they kept him in their house. How long? Ten years? Well, and, we're uh, and, and those are the types of examples in small ways that, that we, if we sharpen our eyes to see them, those speak quietly, and then you've got the opportunity for others who have gifts of speaking to point to those, and by matter and means of exhortation, go that and do likewise. Well, we've seen, and, and we have good examples, and we do need to talk about them more. We need to talk about, uh, and this is, again, something, and I'd really recommend that book to you if you ever have a chance to read it, Love and Economics. And, uh, um, but what she is, what she's found as a scholar in her studies, sociological studies, really, is that uh, it really is 
if it, if it can happen at all, it really is a good thing <laughs> for mothers to be extremely available while their kids are in their formative years. Now, the problem in our culture, in our laissez-faire culture, is we've called it a division of labor, and we've said, we're going to let mama raise the kids, and daddy is going to go kill the, kill the meat, so to speak. Uh, that's not... That's not but, the, but the point is that these are kinds of ways that those are sacrificial kinds of things. You know, and that doesn't mean that everybody uniformly is called to exactly the same version and form of that, but it does all mean, always mean, that we are being, in effect, inconvenienced. Inconvenienced for the Lord's glory. I heard that phrase one time and it stuck with me ever, ever since. That... We are not always thinking of optimization in the terms that the, that the larger culture would think of it. Thanks. It, uh, and I will say this, for a long, long time I wouldn't have. Uh, I would have found an excuse. Uh, but it's, but it's, yeah. Well, and back to the beginning is, you know, the first words always in the ministry of God's prophets is repent. And what does that mean? That means, you know, have the needle pointing at true north, not, not cockeyed, you know, 45 degrees or 180 degrees or whatever. It means be seeking the Lord. Be struggling and wrestling with what he wants. Be in it and then be encouraging each other because it is first the family that is that is supposed to model these things if we see the order in Scripture. First God, then others. If God isn't first honored, then the others won't get honored appropriately. They won't get honored in a way that helps, generally speaking. And so that proper order, and then it expands out from there. So sort of the sticking to our knitting and then, and then seeing the fruits of that in a, in a sense is just what I hope we can continue to encourage each other to and maybe apply our creativity to as we need to. Um, and Lord, we, we ask that you will, that you will uh, weed out 
the things we've thought about this morning that, that aren't the way you would have them, that you would uh, grow and, and deepen the things that are. And we, we praise you and we hope that we will continue and grow in honoring you by uh, following Jesus, by obeying, uh, by knowing that you're our Father, by listening all the time. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen.